Are you a real estate investor looking to elevate your income, freedom, and lifestyle? If so, optimize your daily performance by downloading our free guide, Raising the Bar, Five Steps to Elevate Your Habits at ElevatePod.com. In this guide created by yours truly, you'll learn why you do what you do, how to easily institute cues in your environment to trigger desired behavior, directly applicable steps to create a fulfilling future, and much more. Get your free copy now at ElevatePod.com and kickstart your new habits today. Your future self will thank you. Welcome to Elevate the masterclass where we dissect the elements of exceptional achievement and lifestyle design with a focus on personal growth and real estate investing. Now, here's your host, Tyler Chesser. Elevate Nation, welcome back. This is Tyler Chesser. I'm so thankful to have you here. And I'm blessed and grateful to be sitting with my partner, Brian Beers, uh, one of our partners in some of our real estate projects and a really, really fun entrepreneur investor. You're going to learn so much today about creating and executing on a real estate investing vision. You're going to learn more about what diversification means, how you can live a life of expansion, not only as an investor, an entrepreneur, how you can create more income and how you can create generational wealth to protect your future, to live that life by design that you have a desire for. Today's episode is applicable, it's actionable, and it's value-packed. So I just want to encourage you to buckle up. Elevate Podcast is all about mindset, mind expansion, and personal development for high-performing real estate investors. I'm your host, Tyler Chesser, and I'm a professional real estate investor and high-performance coach. It is my job to decode the stories, habits, and multifaceted expertise of world-class investors and other experts to help you elevate your performance and lifestyle. Are you ready to take it to another level? It is time. Let's raise the bar today. Welcome back to Elevate. If it's your first time listening to the podcast, welcome to the podcast. Welcome to Elevate Podcast. You're part of Elevate Nation. You're important to us. We appreciate you. If you've been here before, welcome back. We're excited to be able to pour into your cup today. I think you're going to love today's episode. I want to encourage you before we dive in to pay the fee. The fee is to share this episode with one person. That's it. All you have to do is just share this episode with one person. You can grab the link. You can send it in a text message. You can send it in an email. You can post it on social media. All that we ask is that you help us pay it forward and share and help us grow the community because ultimately the only way that we're going to continue to be able to add value to you is if we can continue to add value to more people. So those personal introductions are truly the most valuable thing. It's the greatest um, gratitude that you can show to us is by sharing this and paying it forward. So just go ahead and pay that fee if you haven't done so already. And also give us a rating, review, and subscribe or follow Elevate Podcast on wherever it is that you listen or watch podcasts. Uh, it's very important to us that we receive those uh, reviews from you, those ratings. And uh, if you have not done so already, please go ahead and do that. And I just want to thank you from the bottom of my heart. We read every single review and we just appreciate you so much. So with all that said, I am excited. Today's episode is really good and you're really you are going to really enjoy this. I want to introduce you to Brian Beers, who is an innovative entrepreneur who expanded a small service based business into a 24 location enterprise, generating over twenty five million dollars in sales per year. Brian is also a podcast host, a real estate investor, and now coaches other entrepreneurs on how to build wealth and create freedom through expanding their business. Today's episode is so good. Whether you're a high-earning professional, whether you're focused solely on real estate investing, uh, or whether you're an investor who has an appetite to create generational wealth, today's episode is for you. So without further ado, please enjoy this amazing episode, this amazing discussion with Brian Beers. Brian Beers, welcome to Elevate. How are you? 
I'm doing great. Thanks for having me, Tyler. No, my pleasure, man. Um, I'm excited to have you on the show. I'm excited to be on your podcast here soon as well. So I think we're going to get to know each other maybe more than we ever anticipated uh, here over the next couple of weeks. But I'm excited about introducing you to Elevate Nation. Before we dive into this conversation, one of the things I love to do with my guests is have them describe themselves in the way that other people who know them best would describe them. And it's it's kind of a cool thing, I think, because you get to step out of yourself and kind of look back and say, well, who, who really am I or who who do the people that know me best know me as? So if you were to take a stab at that, what would you say about that, Brian? Yeah, they'd say I'm, I'm, a, I'm a hardworking, uh, driven entrepreneur. And I think I, you know, I probably go too fast sometimes. And, you know, sometimes I think I got to keep it a little bit more simple. But I'm, uh, you know, I got big expectations, big goals. I'm moving 100 miles an hour and, um, you know, trying to keep as many people to, to keep up with me as I can. That is one of the things that you've um, really struck me as since I've gotten to know you, uh, obviously you and I have kind of partnered together on a, on a deal over the past year or so. And it's been great to, to have you invested with our team, but just along that process, I've kind of gotten to know you. And one of the things that I have initially discovered about you is that you are extremely hardworking and driven. So where does that come from, man? What, what's the drive behind what you do? Yeah, I mean, I think it's, you know, starts at a young age of just wanting to be, you know, being competitive, wanting to win. Uh, you know, I've always had a love for business and learning about, you know, entrepreneurship and, and how to make money. And, you know, and then I, I want to provide for my family. I've got a beautiful wife, two young girls, and, you know, I want to provide the, the best life possible for them. And so, you know, my goal is is twofold. One is to you know, design a lifestyle that, that I want to live. I think that's the number one goal I'm, I'm trying to achieve, which for me means building a big business, which I can have a lot of people then take over, you know, day-to-day operational responsibilities that gives me that freedom to set my own schedule, spend time with them, right. Go on these, these vacations and not be like a workaholic, which, which was, was me, you know, 10 years ago when I, when I started in the business, I mean, that's, cause that's all I had was, was just working as hard as I could to build it up. But now it's at that phase where I want, I want, I want that lifestyle, and that's what I'm looking to create. That's how I, I, you know, invest passively now more in real estate, which I know we're going to talk about. And um, that's that's you know extremely goal, extremely big goal of mine. And the other is, you know, build build wealth, build lifetime, um, you know, this safety net, build potentially generational wealth, and teach my kids, you know, how the game works, how to win it. Um, you know, I think uh, if, if if I'm not going to teach them, who is so. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, so when I think about sort of where you are now, it's obviously it's continuing to strengthen your financial position, um, strengthen um, the sense of your company and also your team, the systems within that team so that you can design that lifestyle. So that makes a lot of sense to me. And I know we're going to dive into that today during our conversation, but I would actually like to look back a little bit as well to kind of gain more familiarity with your backstory in terms of how we arrived here. Um, Give me a sense of your backstory, your upbringing, if you don't mind, just to kind of help us understand where you came from. Sure. Yeah. So my my dad was was an entrepreneur. He started in uh, the automotive repair business in uh, 1976. He was 22 years old. It was actually with his dad. So my my grandfather um, uh, opened their first uh, Midas automotive repair franchise back in the day. It was all mufflers. Uh, my dad's cousin was actually in, in Boston since the '60s, so it's like you know one of the not original franchisees, but in it for a very long time. And uh, you know, so he started with, with one one store, and and they started to grow it. His um, brother-in-law got involved, my uncle, and they 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 grew this business. So as a kid, I you know I worked uh, in these shops. I learned you know 
had a hard, I had the, the, the meaning of hard work and working on cars a little bit. And uh, yeah, I worked in the office, accounts payable. And um, so I, I learned all that. And then went off to college. I went to University of Miami uh, in Florida and spent four down four years down there learning entrepreneurship. Uh, I was also into computer science. So I did you know some, some software developments, my phones, some you know, data-driven websites, all that. And then I, uh, I graduated and decided to uh, join the, the family business. At the time, we had six locations and it was like 2010. And so they had been through 08, 08 09, not, not doing great. They thought about selling the business, just kind of getting out of it. I step in, I breathe new life in the business. I learn it all, um, you know, and then I, uh, my, my brother joined and then we started growing. And 2016, we started, we, we acquired our first uh, two, two additional locations. These are all in the, the Philadelphia area. And then we had eight and then, then we bought another one and another one and another one. And then we had up to 12. And then last year we went into Jersey um, and we now have 24 locations and we'll have 30 probably by the time this, this airs, depending on when it airs. So we've, you know, kind of grown this business from, um, you know, this, this thing that was, you know, a couple locations, barely making any money, thinking about being closed to, you know, now uh, we're the fourth largest franchisee in the system and, you know, pretty successful in it. So so I'm going to draw a correlation that I hope you appreciate. I'm, I've actually, I don't, my wife and I don't watch much TV at all, but I'll tell you. So we've got newborn infants and there's a show on HBO and it's called Winning Time. And it's about the start of the Lakers dynasty. I don't know if you've seen this. Um, and it's about um, Dr. Jerry Buss in the 70s bought the Los Angeles Lakers, which were basically a, it was kind of a, a, a franchise that was, you know, a bit derelict. I mean, it you know, they had won championships, but it wasn't the dynasty that it has become today, the Los Angeles Lakers, and the NBA and the NBA wasn't what it is today, of course, as well. But it was interesting because Dr. Jerry Buss was a real estate entrepreneur and he actually traded the Chrysler building plus cash and some other financing for the Lakers at the time, the, the owner at the the owner of the Lakers had to sell because he was going through a divorce and all this stuff. But anyway, the reason why I bring it up is because your story somewhat reminds me of Jeannie Buss, who is now the governor, the, you know, the head honcho of the Lakers. Obviously, Dr. Jerry Buss uh, passed away just a few years ago. But I think about Jeannie Buss kind of coming up in the business. And in the show, it shows her she's kind of like starting from the bottom. She's like doing the dirty work. She's learning the ins and outs of the organization, how things work. And, you know, over time, her voice becomes more and more respected and she gets more and more entrepreneurial and she has a bit of a visionary sort of sense in her. And so obviously what she's been able to do now, obviously, you know, looking back at all, you can connect the dots. But I think about your journey similarly kind of coming up, learning from the bottom and then obviously going through sort of your your academic career, coming back and then saying, all right, well, let me breathe some new life into this. Um, I just think it's interesting. And, and maybe there's going to be a dynasty one day uh, as you look back in your own life. And I kind of get that sense. But give me a sense of what is that breathing new life? What did that actually look like when you came back in 2010? Yeah, sure. So there's a number of things. I think, um, you know, first it's like cu culture, you know, it's just trying to create excitement uh, with, within the organization. Uh, part of that is done through, we looked at compensation plans and all right, are they, are they rewarding enough, you know? Are they too rewarding, right? Are we rewarding the right things? It's, it's, we looked at all that. So the, the, the culture, just trying to make it fun, like making it a, a fun place to work where we you know, set goals, we hit the goals, we celebrate wins. Um, and that, that was initially two big things. Then technology, so integrating technology, eventually we rolled out and took a couple of years, but Slack was, was a huge like, game changer uh, at, at the time because that you know, it was all email-based and you know, it's a little harder versus Slack. You get this direct communication we've got now 
know, sales channels, guys will post tickets, you know, nice jobs they sell, congratulating each other for promotions, um, video walkthroughs, all the stuff that's like engaging and kind of uh, higher tech now. And so a lot of that is, is I would say, on, on the culture side, their own company parties at Dave and Buster's, um, you know, giving out awards, just just trying to make it a, like a fun place to work. You know, people have people can work anywhere, especially in like automotive. They can work with us, any one of our major brand competitors. We all kind of pay similar, right? The experience is about the same. And what what's different is, you know, when they go to work, do they enjoy it? Do they enjoy the people we're, we're working with? And if we can, if we can nail that, you know, all the other stuff, you know, works out. So. So essentially it's, it's understanding that culture is key to not only attracting the right talent, but retaining and enhancing that talent. And obviously from there, it's about systemization. It's about technology to be able to support them, to help them do their job, you know, easier, you know, more effectively and so forth. Um, when you think about it, so it was like, there was a pivot point where, you know, your dad and, and some other family members were like, you know, we're either going to sell this thing or we're going to pivot and breathe new life into it. And so you came in and said, let's, let's breathe some new life into this. And then now you guys are obviously continuing to expand. As you mentioned, uh, perhaps you're looking at about 30 franchises here within the next month or couple months or so. Um, so give me a sense of where things are going. I mean, obviously culture is something that's sort of a long-term institution and, and there's a lot of work that's involved in terms of instituting the appropriate culture. But as you're growing, you mentioned before the podcast today, I mean, nearly 200 employees now with the portfolio that you guys are managing from a franchise perspective. What is that looking like today? Yeah, in terms of what our goals are today and the things we're working on now. Yeah. And how are you continuing to propel that forward? Because obviously, I would imagine you've got to continue to breathe new life into what you're doing and, you know, vision, sort of look around the corner to say, hey, what's next? What does the company need next? Yep. Sure. Yeah. So a number of things, I think uh, one of the things we see is we, we need to simplify, you know, our message so everyone understands it, right? It's clear, it's transparent, it's it's simple. I think, you know, I have a tendency to, like I said, over overcomplicate things, and I'm a data's person, and can easily make this big spreadsheet and like get information out of it, right? But for most people, you send them this this wall of numbers, and it means nothing. And so one of the things we're working on is simplifying the number of things that matter to us. So and and knowing mm-hmm. that hey, we can hit these top level things, and even if the other things are only fifty percent, we'll be okay as long as we achieve this this top result that we're all we're all on the same page that this matters more than anything else. So I think that's a change of mindset, right? Because before, you know, when you're a small business owner, you have a smaller group you control, you want everything to be perfect. Right. And as we get larger, it's it's a lot harder to to get that level of like detail across the board. So we're we're figuring out what matters to us most. Let's as long as we're hitting that, uh, then we're at least, you know, we keep working on the other things, but it's not, you know, like like nothing else matters. Um, so keep it simple. That's one of them. Uh, another one in terms of, of where we're growing and how we're growing is um, through a number of different tech, technology ways as well. We're looking at implementing like a call center. You know, we get tons of inbound calls. We can track our conversion rates, which are, um, let's say it's 30% or on average, our best stores are, would say like 40 to 45%. And so we say, hey, there's 10, there's 15 percentage points of, of calls we can convert and looking at ways of how we can potentially set up a call center, set up these other systems in order to, you know, help book these appointments, get the people in the door. So then our guys in the, in the shop can just keep, keep moving and not having to be constantly interrupted by the phone ringing for someone just to set an appointment. Like somebody else can do that. Right. And so we're, we're looking at things like that to help scale. And a lot of the growth comes from some same store volume. Like our, our stores currently average 
you know, over a million dollars a piece. Uh, I mean, there's other stores in the system that do 2 million a piece. There's competitors that do 3 million, 4 million, $5 million out of the same square footage. So the opportunities for us are, are significant if we can get to that, that level and then across the board. And um, that's what we're trying to figure out. And then when I think about like your sort of just personal financial approach or your personal investing approach, it's it's about maximizing your income through franchising. And then it's also about passive investing in real estate. So help me understand and, and please clarify if for some reason I stated that incorrectly. But, you know, what you're talking about is obviously maximizing the systems within your business. And I do relate it to many of the listeners who are either high income professionals. Maybe they're entrepreneurs in their own sense. Maybe they run their own sort of real estate operation, but they also have an expanded set of real estate opportunities at their disposal. And I would think that there's a correlation to what your approach is as to what what theirs is. But am I saying that correctly, that overall sort of the strategy is maximize and grow income and passively invest? Yeah. Yeah. In a nutshell, that that's it. Uh, you know, we've gone through some di- different iterations of this. And I, I'm happy to, to walk you through it if, Please. if you like. That'd be um, great. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, you know, I've always like loved real estate, right? And I always thought, hey, I want to invest in it. And we, we, you know, we've, we acquire our stores, like the stores we operate whenever possible. You know, we have six, maybe seven of them now. We, we just acquired one. But do you a lot do of like a are, lease back on those or how does that work? Uh, yeah, we buy them under a separate, like a sole purpose entity and lease it, triple net lease to ourselves. Um, that Got helps it. convert some of our active income into to passive income and depreciation mm-hmm. credits and all that. Um, but, you know, a lot of those are, are locked up in leases controlled by the franchisor, like something we just can't buy. So, like, you know, but that's our first line. First line, if we can buy the, the building you occupy, it's always like a great investment. And then we went down to say, all right, well, let's, you know, you know, read bigger, I listen to bigger pockets, I follow all this stuff. And it's like, all right, let's get into the single family rentals. That's what like everybody starts with. So we mm-hmm. went out and started buying, you know, single family rentals in like some lower income areas for whatever, 50,000, 40,000, 70,000 a home. And, you know, we get them, get them renovated and Get what year was and, this? What what, uh, what time frame? We started this well, varied, but twenty eleven. Like okay, so a great time to be doing it. Yeah, on and off, we did some some flips. We did three or four flips, made some money at that. Um, then we stopped doing the flips, and we got in these rentals. I would say in twenty nineteen, actually, we really made a bigger push into these um, these rentals. All through twenty twenty, we, we were buying these things, and um, but then we but then we realized like we get these things rented, and like you know all the spreadsheets are supposed to make you know three four hundred dollars a month, and then you know, the roof would go and then the plumbing was messed up and then the plumbing got, uh, you know, clogged and it was like 15 grand at this one house to jack up the street and replace this pipe. And you know, that there, there goes like three years of profit at that one place for this one repair. And, um, and at the end of the day, we were like, man, this isn't worth it. Like we're, we're like, I got this big business to run and I'm, I'm dealing with the, even we had property managers and all that. And we're dealing with all this, this BS and not making any money. Like, why, why are we doing this? And Mm -hmm. so then we, and then, well, and prior to that too, then we got into some bigger multifamily. We have a, we have a 14 unit that we bought because we figured out right, that'd be better. But, but even this building was ended up being like, it's like a, it's like a compound of a bunch of like duplexes put together. You could, you could right. describe it as right. Still in there. It still has a bunch of maintenance issues. It's still like 14 individual homes. It just happened to be on the same parcel. And, um, but even that thing, like, you know, we bought that thing for a million dollars, but you know, 200 grand down or whatever. And we haven't, we haven't pulled a single dollar out of that business in 18 months now. And I think, man, if I took that 200 grand, I invested with you guys, I got 7% returned or whatever. I would have cash flowed $20,000 by now and, and had zero like headaches or phone calls. So then what shifted is said, all right, I want to look at, you know, how I manage my, my wealth and, and my kind of investing under the same lens that I, I view the business. So I've come up with this like strategy and this is, this is like, you know, what I do now, 
I'm like, all right, what's, what's the game plan? Like in my, my business, we have this vision of, Hey, we want whatever 30 stores. We want to get each store to whatever, $2 million. We want to sell this. We want to sell that. We want this culture, right? I have this like vision of where we want to go. And then every decision we, we make, you know, we ask yourself, does this decision align with like creating this vision? And if it does, we do it. And if it doesn't, you know, we, we don't do it. And so you can do the same thing when, when you look at your wealth and it says, all right, what's like the vision of my, my lifestyle that I want and, and the wealth, whether that is a certain net income amount, whether it's a certain passive, like passive income per month, you know, what's the lifestyle? Do you want to be dealing with tenants? Like I personally have zero interest in dealing with tenants. And so for me, like now it's shifting to, all right, I want to then, my vision is I have these, a bunch of passive investments, whether they are. I do syndications, whether it's maybe some triple net leases, whether it's some hard money loans that I'm getting interest on, right? But that's my vision. So, all right. So I start with that. And then I go into, all right, what's the what's the cash flow, right? I got to make money in the business. We know we can buy another shop for X amount. We can probably get it owner financed to minimum money down. I can get the sales up, right? We can we know what our ROI is going to be. Same thing when I'm looking at these investments. All right, what's the what's the cash on cash? You know, what's the equity multiple? What's the IRR? What's the risk versus the like return versus the like, you know, how long is my money going to be locked up for? So I, so I analyze all that in terms of a cash flow. So, you know, even, you know, your deal, we're looking at it's 7% preferred. It's, you know, I think it's the one in Indiana where it's, you know, the rents are whatever, like 500 bucks and the deals to get them to $600 and, and we hit the returns, right? Like to me, that's like super low risk versus, yeah. you know, I've looked at deals that are, you know, new construction buys in Florida and they're buying it like a three, seven, five cap. And, you know, uh, the, the plans to sell it at a four cap in five years. I mean, we look at interest rates and inflation to me, that's like a super risky deal because they have to, all the money's made on this, this exit, which, you know, who knows what's going to happen now. Very speculative. Yeah. Super speculative and just not like, but that's how I look at it. Right. What's the, what's the cash flow? And then I break it down into, you know, ROI, cash on cash. And then, you know, just what's the business? Does the business plan make sense to me? Like, and if it's, Hey, we're going to buy this, you know, raise rents a hundred bucks and like fix the place up and sell it at like a six cap and we, a seven cap, we all make money. Like that, that's like a lower risk return or lower risk business for a decent return versus some fancy, you know, new building. And so. Yeah. Just a quick comment. I mean, I think it's interesting. I mean, you think about like your original approach with buying single family homes and smaller multifamilies. It's interesting. I mean, I think a lot of people run into that where, you know, on the spreadsheet, it's like, well, you know, but we're supposed to be cash flowing, you know, $150, $200 a month per unit. But obviously, you know, repairs and maintenance and all these other things, these, all these other unexpecteds, you know, a lot of times will eat up cash flow. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Yeah. I mean, I guess we're building wealth over time, but you know, where's the cash flow and this doesn't feel great. And, you know, I think what a lot of people realize is that the name of the game is scale, especially in residential real estate. And so, you know, it's interesting because you look at it and you say, well, there's so much time, there's so much energy, there's so much effort invested in active investing in that capacity, but your returns may be even worse than some of these passive deals on some of these larger deals um, without having to lift a finger. You know, really, obviously the work comes on the front end to be able to evaluate and say, hey, what is the risk profile of this deal? What, you know, what are the assumptions in this opportunity? Is this something realistic and how speculative is this? So I think, you know, you take away sort of that thought process of passive from that standpoint, but once you make the decision, then, you know, you allow that, you know, sort of situation to unfold. But would you agree to that? Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. And that's how I, 
you know, I look at the risk. I'm looking at like a couple different things. One's the team and, and is what's the experience level of the team? How many deals have they done? How many have they done full circle? Right. Um, how much money did they have invested in it? I'm mm-hmm. looking at all that stuff to analyze the team. I'm looking at then the, the market. Like I'm saying, you know, is this a high growth market or people moving here or people moving away from it? Um, we're looking at the asset class. Is it a reposition to say, hey, we're going from like a, a C to a B and that's the plan? Or is this like an A plus that you're just going to maintain? So I'm looking at all the different risk, you know, in, in, in basic terms. None of this is like, none of this is hours of research. Some of it's just kind of common sense to say, mm-hmm. hey, you know, within 10 minutes, I could look at a I could look at the offering memorandum or the PPM or whatever it is and kind of feel of, hey, what profile does it fit? Because there's only a few. It's like, it's a value add deal. It's a new construction deal. It's it's a new construction buy or build. And then it's some sort of total, you know, reposition from a from a D to a B or whatever they want to do, which is which is also some some higher risk. But anyway, so yeah, that's that's how I'm looking at risk and, and looking at the team as well. Even that, like I, you know, we'll look at the team through a business, right? Of of who who are the who are the who are the players? Are they deal makers or are they deal breakers? Is it is a common, you know, phrase I I, I use, which is, you know, and, and that counts not only to like it's your attorney, right? And the attorneys you're working with, are they are they helping you like make more deals, introducing you to people who do this kind of thing? Or are they breaking deals and saying, hey, you shouldn't do this, you shouldn't do that? And you know, a lot of their ob- objections, or at least what we've seen, is because they're just not experienced in whatever you're going to do. They're like a generalist and may- maybe great for you know, your dad or your uncle or whoever like referred you to them, but and a lot of times, like you got to work with an with an expert in in the field that you want to work with to get the true you know representation there. I agree with that, and and I appreciate you bringing that up. We haven't talked about that much on this podcast. But are you a deal maker or a deal breaker? How do you evaluate that? How do you um, you know sort of make that decision or make your assumption as to whether or not someone is a deal maker or breaker? And and I think you're talking about sponsors in deals that you're evaluating as a passive investor plus their team, right? Are you referring to yeah, sort of I'm, the overall uh, set? Well, more my, I'm thinking more my team. I'm Your talking team. about me, my team of like, and I just, in general, I'm thinking about like my wealth and like trying to think my wealth as a business right? Yes. Or, or, and how I invest. And I, so my team, like, I, I like to think of it like a, like an offensive line in football, mm-hmm. which is like, you know, you're the quarterback, right? You're making the, you're calling the plays, you're running the plays. You got your uh, wife who, or, or I guess husband, if you know, male or female, who's the mm-hmm. center, right? They're the ones who, who's hiking you the ball. <laughs> if, if you aren't on the same page, that ball's over your head and like, you know, it's a total disaster. So you got to be, you got to be on the same page. You got your partner who's like your running back and he's the guy who's like right next to you and you're, you're side by side, you know, protecting each other. Mm-hmm. Then, then you've got your two, you know, offensive guards where it could be, you know, that's your attorney and, and your CPA and their, their job is to protect you. And then from there, you've got, uh, you know, your, the sponsors, right? Your sponsors, you've got uh, real estate agents, if they're sending you deals, You've got all these other partners, and they're the ones on the, the the ends who can help make these big plays, right? A great sponsor can can get that you know 70, 80 yard bomb down the field, and and you can make a ton of money, right? And they you need them on your team. You also need the ones that are the tight ends who just do the the short little like 10, 15 yard gains, and they're super solid. And you know it's it's lower risk, lower return, but like you blend all that together, right? Mm-hmm. At least that's that's how I that's how I look at it. 
I like right. that. I'll just a quick comment. I mean, it's funny because we have tons of passive investors who evaluate the merits of our deals. We discuss with them, we discuss with their advisors and so forth. And it's interesting because more times than not, you know, the deal breakers are typically sort of attorneys, you know, CPAs. Yep. And we do recognize that obviously everybody wants to kind of evaluate the risk and, you know, everybody has a different tolerance. But when you see deal breakers across the board, it's, it is unfortunate because people miss out on opportunities. Of course, Look, there's risk in everything. There's risk in walking outside of your front door. But are you scared of your own shadow? And are you going to just live in what I would call bubble wrap your entire life? Or are you going to make a move? And so then when it comes to, you know, is your accountant and is your attorney a deal maker, a deal breaker? The determination is, are they telling you no on like every single deal you want to do? And if, if mm-hmm. that's the case, it's a question to them of, okay, well, have they ever invested in something like this? Because if they right. have never invested, and if they don't truly understand it, then like, they're going to have trouble wrapping their head around why you should do it because they're in and they're trying to protect, you know, they're trying to protect you. They're doing what's what's what they think's in your best interest, but they just don't understand it, you know, and, and same for, um, you know, same for accountants. I mean, we've we've worked through a number of of accounts that we've turned just throughout our business uh, this year. We, we just, you know, we're on a new one now because, you know, we're in growth mode, right? We want guys who I, I want to tell you everything I want to do. And you're supposed to tell me like, no, but here's how, here's another way to do it, right? Yes. Like we want to live in the gray zone. We want to do what's totally by the book, but gray zone, we're at the line. Like that, I think is what most entrepreneurs want. And we want, you know, we want a team that's understands that and, and can strategize with us. And uh, I think, you know, a lot of times before we were the accountants who were older near retirement, their mindset was kind of like, Hey, let's save depreciation. Let's save this because, you know, we're looking 10 years out and, you know, our approach is, well, we're going to, like we want to pay zero taxes this year. We're going to buy a bunch of shit and then depreciate it <laughs> next year. And then the next year we're going to do it again. And like, I don't care about my taxes in three years from now because- Yeah, I'll figure it know, out then. I'm going to figure it out then. Business is going to change. We're doubling. We doubled in size in a year. We might double again. Like, let's see. So that's like, so part of it, I think, is if you feel resistance from somebody and you feel like I had this, if it feels like you're trying to push like a donkey up the hill, like it's, it's time to rethink, right? And if it feels like every time you have a conversation and with your accountant, it's like, you're feeling like you're you're pushing a donkey up a hill, then- it might be, you might want to change, change up. So, Hey guys, just a quick word from our sponsor. Then we'll be right back to the show. This episode of Elevate is brought to you by CF Capital, a national real estate investment firm founded by myself and my business partner, Brian Flaherty. CF Capital's mission is to provide property investment and asset management solutions to help investors like you maximize their returns by investing in high value multifamily communities. If you are looking for risk adjusted alternative investments in quality apartment communities are seeking tax optimized cash flow with appreciation upside without all the hassles of management, you might benefit from learning more about investing alongside our team. You're invited to reach out and learn more about how you can invest with us by visiting cfcapllc.com. We're also currently offering a free ebook called The Bottom Line, 10 Ways to Increase Cash Flow in an Apartment Complex. Whether you're a new or experienced investor, we're confident you'll find massive value in this resource. So go get your free copy today at cfcapllc.com. And now please enjoy the rest of the show. Yeah, you know, it's so interesting. We, we've had this conversation internally with our team at CF Cap. We constantly are kind of evaluating our vendors or our team members. And there's typically, and I hate to say this, but there's typically one vendor that's kind of in our crosshairs. It's like, you know, we're going to be making an adjustment soon, as soon as we can. And we're evaluating their replacement. And, you know, it's similar to exactly what you're talking about. It's like, if they don't met, if they don't match our risk profile or they don't match our growth prospects and they cannot advise us appropriately for that, then it's time to make an adjustment. But I think constantly, you know, being an evaluator, you were talking about like a football team 
team. And I almost think of it as, again, an executive for like a professional franchise. It's, well, who's working, who's not working. And, you know, ultimately we've got to make tough decisions. Yep. And that's all the negative. Now on the positive side, like now I have this team and we do some hard money lending to on a small basis of, of some people that we know. And I've got my my you know attorney who you know he's not specialist but it's a big enough firm where they have a real estate person and they work with like multiple other clients to do hard money lending and so she she's like you know she's like a pit bull and can like totally you know get us in the right position you know that we have all the docs we're totally protected if there's any issues she's handling it she's then making introductions to me for for other potential borrowers from their network of people that they know and are friends with and, and same for my accountant. I, I talk to our accountant about actually the same business. He's making introductions to some other lenders that they work with, right? So if mm-hmm. so, then so that now I'm confident with my team because I know that they're they're not only like they're not breaking any deals. They're they're helping me make more deals in terms of, of introductions, of strategy, of best practices from other people you know in their world who do the same business. And so, I mean that that would be the questions is is ask ask your people these questions. And if they, if they can introduce you to other people they work with and, you know, help support it and have some strategies that they've already are implementing with other people to implement it with you, like that's a good find. And if they have nobody to talk to you and nobody to introduce you to and no ideas and have to go like research what you're talking about, like a cost segregation or whatever it is and, and K1s and in the lost yeah, carry forwards, you probably, it's probably time for you to like not use, you know, TurboTax, you know, consultant and go find a, a real person. So... Yes, absolutely. Uh, you know, and, and especially from the legal side, it's like, man, I, I did not hire you for me to be the oversight on your counsel. And it's it's very challenging when you don't trust who you're outsourcing to. What we're talking about essentially is, you know, what many people, many people in our world are very fond of these days is the concept of who, not how. And yep. if your who's are not executing on the how appropriately, it's going to be very challenging to reach your goals. Thinking about managing not only your team, passive investing like a business, but also kind of managing your real estate portfolio across different verticals. And you think about passive investing in larger private placements, whether it's multifamily or otherwise, I think you, you mainly focus on multifamily, correct? Yeah. Well, so actually this was my last, or I guess my, one of my last points, which is diversification. You know, in Mm -hmm. our business, we think about how we diversify, right? We diversify through multiple locations. We're now in multiple markets. We sell multiple service and products, trying to get more into tires, right? To diversify against just purely service, right? In our business, this is, this is how it works. And for the same thing of of someone's wealth, if they're a hundred percent in stocks and equities, no matter you know, how quote diversified they are, like the market moves, how the market moves. And so they have zero diversification, right? Versus, you know, the way I look at it is like stacking these blocks and I have like multiple layers. So we've got at its base level, you know, you have cash, you have like whatever cash-like returns. I'm big into um, infinite banking policies. Mm -hmm. I have one for myself, my wife, my two kids. And I just started doing that myself. Okay. Yeah. You got one. I just got one. Yeah. So I'm, okay, I'm looking awesome. forward to deploying the cash value at the next deal that makes sense. Okay. But yeah, I'm excited about that. Yeah. And for anybody who doesn't, I don't know if you've talked about this before in your, your podcast, but like we've talked about it once or twice, but please um, feel free to. Yeah. So, so like the, this is the, the high level view and it took me about a year to like conceptualize this. So don't, mm-hmm. you know, so don't get it. No, no, no problem. Right. But it's like, you have the ability to have your money work in, in two places at the same time where, you know, you can invest into this overfunded, cash value life insurance policy at a fixed amount. Let's say it's, I don't know, 50 grand a year. You're saying, I'm going to commit. Um, it's a savings account in a sense. I'm going to put 50 grand in this policy. You immediately get this like pretty high death benefit, but then you have the ability to access the cash and, and set up a line of credit to, to use that cash as collateral. And so 
you know, you then can then that thing's earning money. It's earning like four or 5% a year. You can then take that same money out through, through a, a line of credit and then go invest it in 20 year deals, right? That's going to pay 10% a year, 20% a year, whatever, whatever the IRRs are. Right. And then th- that thing is making money in two different places at four or 5% in the life insurance policy. And it's making money in whatever you deployed it into. And there's a cost to that. There's a, there's an interest cost to that, but usually it's, it's well covered by whatever deal you're doing. So it allows you to to have this like awesome life insurance policy, huge death benefit that you can pass, pass to your kids tax free, and then also it, you know, you you can have your money work and to get double compound effect. So, yeah, and so we we're talking about so obviously the the construction of your overall portfolio, the way that you look at it is diversification. You think about cash, you think about cash value, life insurance policy, which can be deployed into a variety of income producing assets. And obviously there's an arbitrage there. You think about the diversification of real estate assets, obviously business ventures that you were talking about earlier, in addition to triple net uh, investing, in addition to hard money lending, is there anything else that you kind of look at or you have on your horizon in terms of that diversification? Yeah. So I have a couple things. I have... Um so I'm, I'm in a group called Abundance, which is a group of, of uh, entrepreneurs who um, you know help each other, want to live epic lives, and you know through that I've I've invested in a number of deals. One of them that's that's pretty exciting is a um, it's it's a coffee company, and so they're they're kind of this real estate company, but they they make coffee, so they're they're buying up uh, all this all this farmland in Colombia, and soon if if not already, they're going to be the number one producer of of coffee uh, out of Colombia. And Colombia is known for having you know high quality coffee, and so um, I got I, I've I've invested in this thing, and their their goal is to buy up all these farms, increase um, the production, deploying tons of technology in order to increase the volume and in, in what they can process and, and setting up all these other factors in terms of like, you know, agriculture. And I don't, I don't understand it all, but um, you know, it all, it all uh, sounds really cool. And then, you know, then eventually their goal is to, to roll out a, a roasting and a distribution channel in the U S and then kind of have this direct from farm to consumer model and then go an IPO like Oatly or a number of these other companies that have done the same and have significant, you know, multiples on their valuation. So, um, if that one, if that one works out, that that's going to be a really, like a really good deal. It's like a, a seven to eight X multiple, uh, if, if they can execute this plan. Right. But, yeah. um, even if they can only execute half the plan and go sell, sell it to private equity or something, it'll, it'll still work out. Um, I got that one. I've got another one I did, which is like a new construction build in Florida. Uh, one of my, uh, like somebody I met through my podcast where he, they bought a big plot of land and building 106 units. And uh, that one's a, I kind of got on the ground floor on that one. I've done self-storage through a number of different guys um, as well. And then yeah, multifamily throughout the country, some in Texas, um, you know, some with you. Uh, I think I've got one in Florida I'm looking at. And then the last one is I've got a friend also through GoBundance that does a wedding um, resorts. So they, they buy up, uh, hotels and like historic venues and their model is to either add a wedding to it or significantly increase the wedding. Like if the wedding is their key revenue driver and then they build everything around that, whether it's like food, beverage, you know, hospitality. And so, um, you know, their goal is to be one of the, the top, you know, hospitality groups in, in the U S in terms of buying these historical resorts, doing multi-million dollar renovations, making them destinations, and then having people you know, drive to them. So anyway, I'm in, I'm in two of their deals as well. 
That's so fun, man. And it just what I think what you're illustrating is the power of a strong and growing network because you get access to opportunities of things that you wouldn't be able to, to accomplish yourself. You wouldn't be able to access, you know, this coffee operation in Colombia if you didn't have that connection. And and obviously, um, you know, evaluating those merits I, as an investor yourself, obviously you are evaluating each opportunity, evaluating the risk, evaluating the reward. How does this fit into the overall vision? and making those decisions. But ultimately, you know, it does come down to how you view not only those opportunities, those operators, how your team is advising you, but also how are you seeing the overall environment? I'd actually be curious. I mean, how are you making sense of the overall economy right now? Obviously, we have a ton of crosswinds kind of in every direction, Um, you know, not only just from the overall economy. I'd like to start there, but then diving into some more specifics about real estate particularly. But how are you making sense of this? You know, I try not to worry about things I can't control, number one. So like I, you know, I read about Russia and inflation and gas prices and, and all this stuff. And it like, you know, it's it's hard not to get fearful because that is the goal of the, the media and the news channels and, you know, everything you read, they want you to click. They want you to be obsessed with it. They want you to, you know, every single percentage and point of inflation to think your world's crashing down and tomorrow's article to recap the same thing again. So, true. so like, you know, that's all happening. We, you know. But I read it. I'm like, you know, not going to say I don't, but like, I'm trying to break that because I, because I, it's like, I can't control it. So why, why does it matter? And at the end of the day for me, and and I look at our business, Hey, people are still going to drive their cars because they they have to, they have no other choice for the most part. Right. They have to get them fixed. And as long as we can be like the best option within a mile of, of each one of our stores, like our business can grow to any amount that, that we want to see fit. Like we don't need to be the best in the world. We, people don't drive more than like two miles or three miles. We can look at our zip code data. Like people, people go local. I don't know where you get your car fixed, but like, you're probably not driving like a half hour down the road. You're probably going to someone by your work or by your home. That's convenient. Is that, that's, is that true? That's true. That's fair. Yeah. Right. So you just need to be the best within your community for, we need to be the best within our community, better than the, the five shops around us, which are, you know, sometimes the bars are pretty low too. Like we don't have to be like number one in the world here. Like, like I said, just, we've got to be better than everybody else. And then it doesn't matter what Russia's doing. It doesn't matter what interest rates are. We, we focus on the things that we can control, which is this this tight geographical region for us. So, so be aware of the big picture, but ignore the noise. Is that what I'm hearing? Yeah, I, I would say, and especially for business owners out there, like it's so easy. And I and I went through the, this with COVID. It was all these fears and like, you know, what's going to happen and like, but none of that's none of that's productive. You look back and say, what does that what does that do? Like, not, none of it, none of it's helpful. I don't, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm shifting my mindset and to try to block it all. And it's, it's all about, Hey, what, let's focus on the things that we can control. And let's be the best at those things. So. so as an investor, obviously it is about identifying patterns, understanding opportunities, understanding downside. Are there any factors or trends in the current sort of economic landscape that you have concerns with, or that you see opportunities with um, not, not necessarily being fearful, but just being, Hey, you know, we're evaluating and you know, we need to make sure we avoid these type of pitfalls, concerns and opportunities that you're seeing in the current environment. Yeah, I mean the the rising interest rates. You know, you hear stories. I have some mortgage broker friends who thinks we might see eight percent by the end of the year. I mean, if they're talking multiple half a point increases, we're already at six. You know, guys are getting now quoted six and a quarter, six and a half. When I don't know, by the time this thing goes, maybe seven. Who knows? So like, <laughs> I hope uh, not because I think know, it's coming out next week. <laughs> yeah, right. It could. We we don't know. Like they got to do something because it's it's out of control, right? Uh, all all in their own doing. But um, so what what I'm 
fearful of is, is if I had invested in deals where the exit cap rates are 4%. Uh, I mean, I have some that were even five and a half that I'm a little like, eh. but, but most of these, you know, have a, have a three-year, five-year hold time. Like, you know, I think that's the benefit of this is you're not, it's not like the stock market where you have to track it every day. And like, yeah. you know, in, in, in six months, yeah, it might, it might suck if you, if you were banking on getting your money back from a deal from 18 months ago in six and, you know, they're just, you may not get that, right. They may not even sell. The, the people that, you know, cause it doesn't make sense, but you know, real estate's a long-term game and it's like, Hey, if I've invested in things that they cash flow and that the, the, the operators are able to hold on and ride a storm. And even if it's six or seven years, but at the end of the day, we're still hitting our, you know, 15, 20%, you know, average annual return or whatever the target was initially, then, then that's okay. But we don't, we don't know, like I said, I, I and I, so in terms of what I'm like, fearful of or, or thinking that that would be it. Um, opportunity wise, I don't know. I think, I mean, I, I always like the idea of, of short-term rentals. I don't, we don't own any, um, but as a way to, it's, it's one of the, one of the ways you can invest in real estate. And if you actively run it, you know, you can offset uh, your active income. I'd like the concept of it. I think it's like way overheated. It's like, everyone's doing it now. Uh, the prices, you know, between of, of, of competition, demand, all this stuff are crazy. I think there could be some opportunities if we see interest rates rise and if, I don't know, maybe, maybe spending decreases a little bit, there could be some opportunities to buy some of these, these, you know, nice destination homes at, at a decent price. I agree, man. It's fun to talk to you about just sort of how you think about investing, because obviously you've got a, a growing and a dynamic portfolio. And I just love to hear your thoughts on that. But I, you know, one of the things I'd love to ask you as well is thinking about mindset, you were talking about the fear uh, factor in terms of, you know, clickbait and all this stuff in terms of the news. I think it's important to have that awareness. But just aside from just kind of putting that thought on the table, but recognizing sort of overall mindset and how that uh, plays into our decision making as investors, I'd actually be curious, how do you can condition your mindset for success and to make appropriate decisions. Yeah. So I've been, I've been working on this for, you know, well, actually I would say since I joined GoBundance, I was in about February, 2020, right, right before COVID. And a lot of that group is focused on, on, on this stuff, on mindset. How do you think bigger? How do you overcome limiting beliefs? You know, how do you tackle fear? How do you like, you know, believe in yourself? And so, you know, that was really the first time I'd, I'd been exposed to any of that, that train of thought. And I always thought like, you know, personal development and all this stuff was like, I don't know, like rah, rah, like people are like, you know, <laughs> screaming at the seminars or whatever. Right. Like there's like a negative connotation, but then you, you, you meet these guys that are worth a hundred million dollars or $50 million. And they, they're like, we, I journal, I meditate. I, you know, have these goals. I have this tracker, right. They, they, they read these books that, um, you know, I never, I never read Tony Robbins before. And now I, you know, I like follow a bunch of his stuff. And so it's, it's funny. Like once you're exposed to these people at a high level who, who, um, you know, give a lot of their success to kind of focusing on their mind, you then put, put value to it and it's, it's credibility. So, so that was what kind of opened me up to it. And that's why, uh, I mean, as a side note, I think it's awesome to, to join a group, a mastermind of like-minded people, whether it's abundance or whatever you find that, you know, like-minded people, cause that's like, that's how you learn new things. It's, from other people. It's, it's really hard. Otherwise, if you live in a, a circle in a vacuum. So then it was starting to, you know, journal. So I, I now I, I almost, almost every day for multiple, I would say year and a half, uh, I would say, um, I think that has been a good exercise. It's quick. It's 10 minutes. I fill up like this one little, little page in a book. It's not this big thing, but it allows me to kind of get thoughts out of my head on paper and I can see, Hey, this is ridiculous. I should like, why am I thinking this? Or you know, Are there any prompts idea. or is it just open journaling? Uh, for me, I've, I've tried the like, you know, what's going well, what's not going well. Like I've, I have those in my 
back of my head. But for the most part, for me, it's just kind of like it's a recap of yesterday and then what I'm thinking for today. You know, I, I keep it pretty, pretty simple. Um, mm-hmm. but some of my some of my my best ideas have been, you know, founded there and, and working through those things, even like launching a podcast. I launched mine in about a year ago now. And like even that, there's there's tons of fear to overcome to to launch a podcast. I don't know about you, but like, you know, it's like, you know, am I good enough? Will anybody listen? Will I stutter? Will I like ask right. dumb questions? Will I, I don't know, people not listen? Will I get criticized? Right. Like there's all these things that, you know, whatever you do when you put yourself out there. And, you know, I think by by having this way to kind of get those thoughts out, and then then, you know, then you realize there's this, there's this polar opposite that exists in the world, which is you know, for, for every bad thing, there's like, there's like a good thing. So instead of people criticizing you, people can love it, which is true. Like I have tons of people that, you know, love my podcast. I'm sure they, they, you know, love this one. Right. Instead of like, I don't know, thinking I'm not good enough. I realize, Hey, there's like, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm going to make mistakes and that's okay, but I'm going to learn from it. And every time I do one, I, I get a little better. I learn something. And so I think that's like, it's, it's kind of this, the frame you view the world and realizing that if you can shift it to say, Hey, for everything, instead of being fearful, it's say what what can I learn from this? And I and I think that's that's been my approach and mindset mindset shift, which is I take every experience, good or bad, and I and I reframe it and ask that question. And if, if you can do that, I mean you can do anything. What other routines in addition to journaling have been critical for you in terms of that conditioning? Um, you know, you talk about obviously finding ideas, um, recognizing those thoughts and and empowering yourself with the, you know, the ability to take action because you're either going to win or you're going to learn. Um, what else what else are you doing in terms of your personal development regimen? Yeah, so I hired a, a business coach, uh, Trevor McGregor. Uh, back in, um, I don't know if you, if you know him. We have some mutual oh, yeah. uh, Holly's coach. Yep. And I, so I hired him in uh, in January of 2021. So a little over a year ago now. And um, I've been with him. I'm still with him. I had a call yesterday. And so that's been that's been like, you know, a, a big game changer for me. It was a huge investment of of money and time and into this and, and having, I think, that person who can, I can bounce ideas off of even, you know, I'm I'm frustrated with things. Even yesterday, I'm frustrated with some things. And I get a call, I get a call with him and, and we work through it and he helps, he helps reframe, you know, my mentality. Right. And that, that 45 minute call then allows me to say, you know, all right, you know, I'm wrong here. I got to like, you know, if what you're doing is not working, you got to change it up. Right. And so now I'm taking what I learned from him and I can go teach my people that and, and, and apply that lessons down. And so I think having a, having a coach, uh, whether you're paying them professionally or it's just somebody, you know, who's, who's willing to dedicate time, you know, to, to help you as long as you take action on you know what they tell you, otherwise you're not going to keep doing it. But, um, I think, I think is, is huge. Um, you know, I, I now have a couple guys I coach in, in the same manner, which, you know, I'm the sounding board for them. And, and, you know, I, I enjoy it cause I can, you know, they have success and I can, you know, kind of celebrate in that. So I think, I think just having that person who's in your back pocket, your coach, they're like, you know, everyone's got one, right? LeBron James has one. Tiger Woods has one. Like no matter what level they're at, they, they always need someone to, to help motivate them, get them back on track, uh, like, w- like recenter them, make sure, make open their mind to like, there's multiple ways to look at things. I think that's a big problem. It's a lot of people think you only have two options. It's like A or B and it's like, what am I going to do? And, and I think the point of the coach is to, to ask questions and help you realize that you have three, four five options. Mm-hmm. And, and now you get to make a choice rather than feeling like you're cornered into, you know, one or two things. And so anyway, lots of, lots of, lots of good stuff. That's, that's 
spiraled from him, but um, it's been huge for me. What about, what about you? Have you worked with a coach before or, or any experience? In that oh side? yeah. Trevor, Trevor has been my coach for years and um, you know, we're also okay. business partners. We've done a lot of business together and man, it's, it's a game changer. And uh, like you, it's, it's kind of, I've had a similar experience where it's, it's learn it, live it, give it. And it's never that you've made it, you've arrived, but there's always something new to learn. And I've learned, you know, as a coach myself is that when I give, I also learn more as well through that process. Yep. And, you know, it is about asking questions. It is about exploring multiple options. It is about reframing. It is about looking at things differently. Um, but yeah, I think you always have to surround yourself with people, you know, sounding boards. Uh, you know, we also run a mastermind called the Quantum Mastermind. And it's about surrounding ourselves with people who can help us, you know, ask ourselves bigger questions, ask different questions, because sometimes we're asking the wrong questions, right? Sometimes we're looking at a problem in the way that it shouldn't be looked at. And, and people, maybe peers or maybe people that are ahead of us can help us ask ask better, more powerful questions and help us look at things a bit differently. So I do think it is about surrounding yourself with the right people, whether they're coaches, whether they're peers, whether they're people who are pushing you. Um, and, you know, but it is about challenging yourself as well. It is about that commitment. It is about your habits. And so I just love, I love when I asked you that question, how are you conditioning your mind for success? You looked around and said, well, I'm a part of this mastermind and I've looked around and I've seen the correlation that people are, you know, worth hundred million dollars, $50 million. And the correlation is they invest in themselves. They, they engage in personal development activities. And I think it's important for us to just kind of recenter and recognize that this is not about rah, rah. This is not about pumping ourselves up or making ourselves feel good. There is actual results in a correlation in the real world in a big, big way. So I appreciate that, Brian. Brian, this has been a fun conversation. I really appreciate you on a transition into the rapid fire section of the podcast. It's called the rare air questionnaire. It's all about being uncommon. I have a few questions for you. Uh, if you had to point to two or three of the most impactful books you've read over the past few years, what would those be and why? Let's see. Well, you mentioned the one who, not how, I think that one was, was awesome. Um, in terms of once again, thinking like, instead of how am I going to do this? Who can help me do this? And, you know, s simple concept, but I, I think powerful. His, his other one that they have is the gap in the gain, which I'm, I'm sure you've read, um, which is, you know, rather than trying to always compare yourself to, you know, where you want to go and you're always in the negative, it's looking at the gain of where you came from and, and all the positive that you've, that you've already achieved. And I think, you know, to me, I'm like 80% there. I think sometimes I still, you know, like, yeah, I accomplished a lot, but I got these big goals too. And I'm going to keep driving, but I think it's still right. not being disappointed, I think is the main thing. And, and Hey, I didn't hit it, but not being disappointed. But once again, it's what can I learn? I think if you, as long as you keep the, the right balance between that, um, I, think, I think that one's a great one. Uh, it's a constant it, course correction too, right? You know, it's like that yeah. gratitude piece. It's like, well, wait a minute. I forgot. <laughs> now let's go back. Let's, let's course correct. Yep. Um, what else? I think, um, well, think and grow rich. I first read that a couple of years ago, you know, probably two mm -hmm. years ago now to go abundance. And, uh, that's a big one in terms of, you know, like, you know, they talk about the power of masterminds. I mean, that book was written in 1937 and yeah. it's like, we think it's like new, it's not new. <laughs> it's just, uh, different now cause it's virtual and it can be expanded and, mm -hmm. you know, you can get in these niches now. Um, so that, that one's been great for, for a number of ways to think about it. Um, I really enjoyed, uh, pitch anything. Have you read that one? I've not read that one. No. Yeah. It's by, uh, Oren, uh, Claff, I think his last name is. Yeah. I've heard that Anyways, mentioned a lot. It's, it's an, it's a, you should check it out. Especially if you're, I mean, you raising money, like it's, it's a book about raising money and he, and he talks about, or selling in general, pitching mm -hmm. something. And what he talks about is, you know, there's this traditional model that, you know, 
here's the problem, here are the features and the benefits, here's how we're the solution, right? Like the traditional mm-hmm. sales process. And he says, the, the problem with it is the person, there's like different parts of your brain and the, and the person selling it is selling it from like an analytical standpoint, like here are all these reasons what makes sense, but the receiver, so you who's, who's receiving this pitch, you don't, you don't, you don't analyze it to start from your analytical brain. You, you analyze it from what he calls your crock brain, which is like this really simple, like, like fight or flight yeah. thing. And, Emotional. So you're, and it has to pass this like small crock brain before it gets to the analytical brain. And so his whole thing is about how he, he pitches these deals, you know, these billion dollar deals or whatever, you know, his, his biggest thing was in the style that first bypasses the crock brain and it has to be exciting and it has to be new and it has to be like not a threat. And once it can get past there, then it gets into this analytical side of, of how this makes sense. And then he finally, it's this social component. But um, anyway, it's a total different way. Uh, he calls it neurofinance or, or something. But um, anyway, all, awesome book. He reads it if you do Audible. So like, it's always better when the author reads it because you get their stories. And there's, there's a lot of great stories throughout throughout the book. So um, anyway, I, I recently finished that and, and really enjoyed it. Yeah, there's a lot of people who have mentioned that on the podcast. So I'll have to bring that up the uh, to read list. And in fact, yesterday I was having a conversation with a coaching client of mine and we were talking about, you know, your success in this business, you know, it does come down to your ability to sell, right? You've got to persuade, you got to persuade the seller. And when I say this business, I mean, real estate, and you know, he's looking to continue to grow his real estate portfolio. And ultimately, if your offer is the same as a competitor, it's ultimately comes down to your ability to sell and persuade. And it does come down to not only connecting from a cultural level, you know, one to one, but it's a rapport. But it then, you know, there's there's so many different things. And I think it's important to recognize that you start with that emotion, then you move to the analytical. So thank you for that. We'll put links in the show notes as to where the listeners can find those books. Um, Brian, if you had to point to the biggest way that you elevate your life on a daily basis, what would that be and why? Um. I would say, I mean, lately it's been trying to be more t- intentional with my time, which is, you know, I have, you know, as my schedule starts to kind of fill up and we get busier and we have all these things we're working on, it's very easy to be reactive to everything and, and, you know, whatever comes your way, you're dealing with it. Right. And mm-hmm. we are talking about this a little bit with scheduling the podcasts where instead trying to be more proactive where I'm, I'm, I'm time blocking, I'm trying to knock out a whole bunch of things at, at once and, 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 and be more intentional and I think that's the only way, I mean, we all have 168 hours a week, right? We all have the same time. And, and the difference is, I mean, Trevor talks about this, right? With like Elon Musk, we all have the same time, right? And it's, it's how you manage your time, how you're intentional with your efforts and only focusing on high value things. And, and the more tasks you can shift to these high value, the, the more you're going to get done versus, you know, administrative and low value and things you can delegate and things you can, you know, hand off to a VA or an assistant or anybody who can help you. So. What's the biggest way that you elevate others around you, Brian? It would it would be to 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 coach them to you know congratulate to celebrate success to try to stay positive. I think um, you know sometimes you know even for me you know as we grow like I I uh, I don't realize I think sometimes the I don't I want to say power but like the amount of impact that I can have by calling somebody up and you know somebody who I've known for years or worked for us for years but because now I'm you know, I'm, I'm kind of on this focus on the bigger growth. I'm not, you know, in the stores as much. So, so, you know, I can make a call to somebody and, you know, congratulate them an awesome day. And I like make their day by, by recognizing, you know, a job well done and, um, and personally making that call. So I think that's one of the things I'm working on being more intentional about as well is, is just celebrating those successes personally with a phone call, not just like a Slack message or, or, you know, a text or whatever. So. 
Brian, I want to acknowledge you. I want to celebrate you. I want to recognize you for, uh, man, what you're doing is it's awesome. It's exciting. It's really fun to have this conversation with you because we started with the vision in, in the designing that life, creating that generational wealth, creating those options for your family, for your two daughters, your wife, and sort of the vision that you have for the future. But then it is about reverse engineering that in a day-to-day process, making decisions, expanding your network, conditioning your mind for success, recognizing the big picture, but also not paying attention to the noise and focusing on what you can control, man, this has been fun. This has been really, really fun. So I just wanted to acknowledge you and appreciate you. But is there any parting thoughts or words of wisdom that you'd like to share with Elevate Nation today? Uh, no, I think, you know, we covered a lot of at least, uh, you know, jam-packed with a, with a bunch of insights. So hopefully, uh, hopefully I added some value. Uh, I mean, one thing I, I, I can ha- happy to offer, I think, actually, the thing we didn't talk about was, was, was goal setting. And I think it's critical you have these goals. And even, you know, when someone trying to build wealth, it's, it's tracking, uh, you know, what your net worth is, what your passive income is, what your active income is, just like we do in our business. We have all these KPIs and things we track and our wealth. Uh, a lot of people don't do that. Right. And so, um, I've created this, this super simple, um, net worth tracker. It's free. You can go to brianbeers.com. There's like a link down there for it. Anyway, you can download an Excel sheet and just, you know, if you want to start tracking, you know, every syndication you invest in and every, you know, your real estate portfolio, your, your stock portfolio, whatever it is, super simple way of, of tracking. Cause if you don't track it, you know, it's, it's hard to measure it. It's hard to manage it. And that's the only thing we, we improve in life is things we, we track and measure and manage. So. Absolutely. Thank you for offering that tool. And we'll put links in the show notes as to where the listeners can find that. Of course, brianbeers.com. You also want to check out business with beers podcast, right? And you yep. can find that on anywhere uh, where the listeners listen to podcasts, correct? Yep. Yep. Yeah. We're on all of them. Remember two, two a week, usually one uh, interview and one uh, kind of solo uh, debrief. Uh, that's a short one too. So get some interview and then get some personal insight from me about, you know, whatever the topic of the week is. Great stuff. Well, Brian, I just want to tell you that I appreciate your partnership, first of all, and I appreciate you spending time with us today. Uh, What an awesome time together. Brian, until next time, my friend, thanks again for being on the show. All right, cool. Thanks, Tyler. Elevate Nation. What a fun conversation with Brian Beers. Um, of course, I appreciate him, you know, and his trust in our team, you know, with CF Capital and investing alongside us. But I think it's really helpful to understand where he's going with his investing portfolio, with his business, how he's optimizing, how he's creating more income to be able to uh, continue to create that generational wealth for his family. And it's just really fun to understand how he's expanding. And at any moment, we're making a decision. It's either we're expanding or we're contracting. And the question is, are you expanding? And of course, sometimes expansion doesn't feel good. It's pretty uncomfortable. It's uh, it's you know a prime example of discomfort. And when we find comfort in that discomfort, then we do expand because there's always a new lesson. There's a new version of ourselves on the other side of that challenge. And so the question for you now is, are you expanding or are you contracting? And you can ask yourself that in any moment of decision when you're saying yes or you're saying no. Is it based on a sense of greater expansion or is it a retreat? Is it a contraction? Are you running away from things you're scared of? Ultimately, that's what we're talking about when we think about conditioning our mind for success. And, you know, we think about our relationship with fear and are we letting fear push us in the corner or you know, squash our dreams, or are we allowing it to catapult us forward? Are we dancing with fear or are we allowing fear to wrestle us to the ground? Because there's two things you can't avoid it, but you can dance with it and you can allow it to propel you forward. And there's so much to learn from that. There's so much to learn. I think as investors, as entrepreneurs, 
as professionals, we face this on a daily basis. So I hope that you've enjoyed this conversation. I hope you found tremendous value from this, maybe half as much value as I've found personally. Uh, I wanna encourage you to re-listen to the show and identify your top one, two, or three distinctions. Of course, repetition is the mother of all skills. So when you re-listen twice, you're going to learn twice as much at least. And by the way, when you identify your top distinctions, not only can you have the ability of anchoring in your understanding and utilizing that for change, for expansion, you know, then you start to move forward. And I also want to encourage you to have a discussion with someone else about this podcast. As we mentioned earlier in the show, I want to encourage you to share the episode, but to take it a step further, if you want to go a step further, if you want to go further faster, it does come down to collaboration. But when you discuss, you learn more and you also have the opportunity of saying, well, you know, maybe there's a partnership we could explore. Maybe there's uh, a new vision that we could start to execute on together. Um, and who, not how it comes down to collaboration. It comes down to communication. So I want to encourage you to have a discussion. Most importantly, make a plan to take massive action. When you identify your top one, two, or three distinctions, what's one thing that you'd like to take action on today, put on the calendar for tomorrow, for next week. And ultimately when you make that commitment now move forward. So with all that said, I just want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast today. I really, really appreciate you. Until next time, Elevate Nation, thank you so much for tuning in and we will see you next time. Thank you for listening to Elevate. If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to rate, review, subscribe, and pay it forward by sharing with a friend. Most importantly, take this opportunity to elevate your results by taking immediate action on what you learned. For more, visit elevatepod.com.